It's Saturday, July, and you are listening to Peanuts and Popcorn. PNP is a spontaneous podcast between two old friends on baseball and motion pictures. I'm Tom Hockney. And I'm Leo Fontana. This week on Peanuts and Popcorn, not content to just practice, Major League teams are now playing actual inter-squad games. We'll react to what's been seen to this point. Major League Baseball announces the official schedule for 2021. We asked the question, why? Joe Poznanski looks back on the career of David Freeze, and Tom and I examine if the White Sox are ready to compete. Buster Posey opts out, Joe West opts in, and Emma Humplink puts on an amazing batting practice display. We'll have the latest on the Chicago Cubs, and in our popcorn segment, our movie of the week is Tombstone. How you doing, Tom? We're, we're, we're dropping on Saturday today instead of Sunday. Uh, I, I, I thought that you must have had an early tea time with your brothers on Sunday. Is that the case? Yeah. No, I, it's nothing as exotic as that. We're actually leaving to go back to Chicago tomorrow morning. So this is a special edition of Peanuts and Popcorn. Special Saturday edition. You know, my curlers are still wet. It's going to be tough, but I will soldier on. So I do want to mention that tomorrow is my daughter Nora's birthday. She turns eight. It'll be a big day. We can't really have a party in the traditional sense, but Gammy and Papa are coming over. We're probably going to order some uh, Maggiano's pasta and, uh, you know, we'll get some pot belly subs for the kids and it should be a lot of fun. <laughs> that sounds good. Uh, also, uh, so first of all, happy birthday, Nora. Um, and then a special happy birthday shout out to uh, one of our uh, listeners, uh, Lucas Smith, whose birthday is today. That's right. Lucas Smith. Thank you. We do want to mention that. And thank you for doing that. Happy birthday to Lucas, wherever you are residing. I think he's somewhere right now in central Illinois, even though he is a college yeah. student at, uh, at Mizzou. But um, I also want to mention that uh, here at the, you know, I live right next door to a public pool. Uh, in Glenville, right. uh, it's the Flick Park Aquatic Center, and uh, we've been going. You have to make reservations. Oh, it's a it's a real pool. It's not a cesspool. No, no, it's not a cesspool. It's a real <laughs> pool, and they're very, very serious over there. They have the most martial lifeguards you've ever seen. They're not allowed to talk to anybody there, and they have these amazing procedures that they go through as lifeguards to sort of keep us all safe. But two of them, unfortunately have tested positive for COVID-19 and the pool is going to be shut down through Monday as they do a deep clean. Um, they're, they're not going to shut everything down for, for permanently, but, uh, you know, I like that they're going to try to get back to, to normal, but, uh, just, it's another indication of how this, this thing is everywhere and it's affecting everyone. Yeah. And it, it, it Every, you know, it's the 800-pound gorilla in the room for, for some families and people out there because there is, you know, there's a, a fair amount of percentage of people that don't believe in wearing masks, and they, they've kind of politicized the whole situation. Based on the evidence that I've seen, there's nothing political about it. Wear a mask, and you'll live. Don't wear one, and you could die. It's you pretty could straightforward. Die. Others could die, and, you know. I'm, I'm, I'm mixed about whether or not school should begin in the fall. I mean, I'm going to be a teacher. I'm going to be on the front lines there, just like, uh, you know, and I, I, I feel like it is a moment, an opportunity for me to do something courageous and to show courage in the face of something very serious. 
But at the same time, there's so many other people who are going to be put at risk. Um, I'm, I'm, I, I just don't know if it's worth it. They, they surveyed teachers in Elgin. And most of them favor a kind of a hybrid approach where we see the students maybe twice a week uh, and then the rest of it distance learning. But, you know, I don't know how that will go. Well, you know, th this is this is a very controversial subject, but I kind of think that we have to get back to some uh, um, school, so, you know, in-person schooling um, just for so just for no other reasons, for socialization reasons. Yeah. Um, it's important, but it's also kind of important to our economy because if these kids are not allowed to go to school, that impacts the parents at home from a from a job standpoint. So. Um, it's a, this is a very complicated situation. I, I, I can honestly say in all my years on the planet, I've never lived through what we're living through right now. And it's just, it's, it's, it's beyond my ability to count. I never thought this would happen to us. I thought maybe a nuclear bomb, but yeah. I, this is just a different, this is even worse than a nuclear bomb for, because of how long it's taking. <laughs> well, it really is. And, and, you know, you mentioned that it's important for the kids to be back to school. I mean, most of the parents of the students that I teach, they don't have the kind of jobs that you can do from home, you know, and uh, they need us to be, they need their children to be in school and they need teachers to be teaching them. So I, for one, will be right. there, uh, but, you know, I'll be masked up and uh, I'll be taking as many precautions as I can. So, all right. So let's, let's. So it, it, do, yeah. do you. But one, hey, one last thing. Is your school going to be doing temperature checks? Is that or do you don't know about that? I, I don't know. I, I mean, let's say that we because our school is seventh and eighth grade and they could easily put together a schedule where the seventh graders come on Tuesday and Wednesday and the, and the eighth graders come on, on, on Tuesday and Thursday and the eighth graders come on Wednesday and Friday. They could put together a schedule like that. You know, and I'm, that, I'm talking about at the, at the entrance of the school, checking the children's temperature. Is that going to happen or not? I don't know if that's going to happen or not. I mean, even with if even if we go to a, a basic schedule like that, a reduced schedule, we still have 300 eighth graders that we would have to test every day that they're there. And that's all. And that doesn't include all the faculty and staff. You know, uh, okay. I, would, I would imagine we'd have to do it in some way. We'd have to find a way to do it efficiently. And still get kids to class on time. Um, you know, there's just a lot to consider and there's a lot to plan. And I'm not on the planning committee, but I'll do whatever they uh, deem is best, you know. So, yeah, what, what, what a complicated situation. Oh, really, my God. It is. Um, and so let's go to another complicated situation. <laughs> the, the restart of Major League Baseball. And teams have reported to their respective summer camps at the at their locations, at their facilities. Um, so the Cubs are at Wrigley Field. The White Sox are at Guaranteed Rate Field. They're, they're actually playing inter-squad games, and, and everybody's getting pretty jacked watching these guys, uh, you know, do their jobs. And it's pretty exciting. You know, the Cubs are having a lot of fun, certainly, and everybody's impressed with uh, Luis Robert's uh, physique. But uh, there are some uh, there are some weeds in the garden, and specifically over the, the the holiday weekend, they had a hard time processing these uh, these initial tests, the initial round of testing that they'd done. And instead of yeah. uh, turning the test around in 24 hours, it took like seven or eight days. And you know, guys like Chris Bryant were a little I don't know they were like this is 
this is not good. This makes me a little nervous because basically if you have to wait 10 days for a result, it's useless. You know, it's, it's absolutely useless. Tom, have you been tested? Well, I, I, I have not been tested, but I've, like I said, no, no one's really been within six feet of me until I was on this trip, but I was with other people that have been quarantined. So, right. Right. um, it, it, so I, I feel relatively comfortable that, like I said, I, I avoid humans at all contact, but quite, you know, quite honestly, I was doing that before the yeah. Yeah. Yeah, uh, But, but it, it is, uh, it, it is an interesting time. And I think that, you know, what we're seeing, and we're going to, we'll talk about this in a second, is that there's not really a standard for the major league clubs on the coronavirus. Some teams are doing different things in regards to testing. Some people are testing, you know, with certain frequency, some are not, um, you know, and so it's just, it's, it's, I think I, I just, there's this thing that's in the back of my mind. What if, what if there really is not going to be a season, meaning that, that, that players start to become infected or, and we're starting to see stars opt out. We'll talk about that in a second, but what if, you know, in two or three weeks, I think you, you proposed this a couple of weeks ago that, that they have to shut it down again. And then I think they've shut it down for the season. If, if they shut it down, they, they're, they're operating on such a razor thin margin for error. They only have, I think six days off out of these 60 games, you know, and, and if they can't, you know, if, if, if a team has a, has a, if there's an outbreak, kind of a major one, you know, uh, they're really, they're going to have to shut it down. And I think what will happen is, like, let's say the breakout or the outbreak is in the uh, Western Division, one of the Western Division teams, be it the American League or National League. I think you might see that division or those divisions shut down and maybe the Central and the Eastern Divisions try to soldier on. You know, but Could be. I mean, but it also look at it like this, too. I mean, the Cubs and the White Sox yet to have anyone test positive for COVID uh, other than Tommy Hadovy, who did earlier this year. And he was actually really, right, right. really sick. But he's back to being OK now, testing negative. So I don't know. It, 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 it's there's some good news. You know, I think they tested out of all the players and staff that they tested only something like one point eight had the virus in any capacity. So, you know, think there's good news initially yes. on front, yes. but it could go bad really fast. You know? There's no doubt. The really the good news is is the mortality rate is dropping. And which is what always happens when these types of things happen is eventually we figure out the best ways to, to, to treat uh, them, even though there is no, you know, cure and there is no um, vaccine at this point, the doctors are learning little tricks of the trade as far as how to deal with people in respiratory distress. So um, yeah. it's just it's it's a it's it, it was great to see every the ballparks, you know, with people with players out on the field again. So that that part is encouraging, and I I you know I certainly hope that the season, which is 12 days away. Yeah. starting i can't believe i'm saying that. that's 12 days that's right around the corner um hopefully every, everything goes as smooth as they projected and planned it um but you know there are this is something weird they're already announcing the schedule for 2021 i thought that yeah. was kind of <laughs> what's that all about i know what i mean it's a little optimistic don't you think 
I mean, you're assuming that there'll be no more outbreaks. You're assuming that we're just sort of back to normal in the spring of 2021. So, I mean, so the Major League Baseball, I guess the commissioner's office or the entity of Major League Baseball releases the 2021 schedule. And and who who is interested in that right now? There are so many things that have to happen before we can even think about a 2021 baseball season. I thought this was, I, I, I just, I, I'm not impressed with the commissioner right now, you know, yeah. what he's thinking. You know, there, there was one interesting thing. Looking at that schedule, we're playing the American League Central again. And so, no, you right. know, we're obviously doing it this year. We're doing it next year for our interleague play. I wonder if something is afoot in regards to realigning. You know, they've been talking about realigning the American National League for a long time. And I wonder if that you know, I'm not trying to be a conspiracy theorist, but no, I that, think that, that you know, could, it's just um, odd. Why aren't we not playing the West? We're playing the Central all season this year, the American League Central. You know, <laughs> so I, 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 thought, I thought that was strange. That is strange, and, and there's just a lot of things to consider. And if they do revamp the divisions, they're going to have to add two more teams. You know, they're going to have to to up the ante to 32 teams to um, to make a schedule that sort of makes sense. But, uh, but, you know, again, I mean, all this stuff is theoretical. Even a 2021 season at this point is theoretical. I mean, there's so many other things that they just have to be concerned with. And it just right. seems to be that they, they just put, they put, they, not only do they put the cart in front of the horse, they put the cart in front of the horse a year from now. You know what I mean? It, it's just, <laughs> it doesn't make any sense. All right, so uh, let's move on. Uh, there was a great piece in The Athletic. Again, Joe Poznanski is doing his series, The 60 Greatest Moments in Baseball History. And According he, to Joe Poznanski. <laughs> Joe. <laughs> and Joe is, you know, the, Joe's a fantastic writer. He loves to do research. He loves to poke into the history of stuff. And his moment this this week was uh, 2000, or um, it was number 17, David Freeze living the dream, basically the hometown prospect for the St. Louis Cardinals. He's drafted by the Cardinals organization because they need a third baseman. And the guy just goes crazy in the World Series. He doesn't have much of a career beyond that, that sort of World Series moment. But for that playoff run, he was unbelievable. He really was. And, and it's, it's a rare thing. That somebody grows up in the suburbs of St. Louis playing baseball, dreaming of hitting a home run in the World Series for his hometown team. And and he actually goes on and does it because he really kept the Cardinals alive that entire postseason run. You know, let's let's be fair. Yeah. Well, you know, Joe uh, Posnanski is is very verbose. Um, yes. He actually makes a reference to Moby Dick in every one of his articles that this will not be longer than Moby Dick. And then sometimes it actually <laughs> is. Um, and so I haven't always, this is, this is what he thinks the 60 greatest moment. Sorry, he's younger than me. So I'll just put, I'll just leave that right there. Um, I, I happen to agree that this is one of the, the 60 it best is. ones because just recently I saw game six of the 2011 world series um, the it, Cardinals against the Rangers. I saw the whole game, and I and uh, it was unbelievable. Like the yeah. lead changed hands like four times. You you can make a case it's one of baseball's greatest games. 
Um, yeah. It's right up there with certainly with Game Seven of the Cubs World Series. It's right up there. Um, and so Freeze, who by the way was not drafted out of out of uh, college to play well, in the pro. Out of yeah, he wasn't drafted out of yeah. high school. He went to I think Missouri to to study yeah, to be to be a pharmacist or something. I don't know. Like a computer guy oh, of some computer. sort, I think. But gonna... but then you know he found his way. Um, uh, back into baseball and made the most of it. Basically, they said that, you know, if you look at a stat perspective, think Mark Rosa. Yeah. <laughs> so it's not it's not like this is this incredible career because he didn't have it. He did hit 100 home runs, but he had arguably one of the greatest playoff because it wasn't just what he did in the World Series. He hit three home runs in the playoffs prior to the World Series. So right. he just was one of those guys. It happened in Detroit in 84 with Marty Castillo at third base. Same exact thing, even though Castillo was not as good as Freeze. Freeze just, you know, there was two or three moments in that game six game where he basically contributed to the Cardinals um, either tying the game or getting close to the game and then obviously winning the game. <laughs> No, it, 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 and, and so and, I, I just, I, I just, I'm glad you picked that because I just watched that game and he was incredible. He really, he really was incredible. And and what's interesting is is, is Fidanski uh talks about how improbable such a moment like that is because and he and he puts it together in five points in that first of all you have to be good enough to make it to the major leagues. You know those are pretty long odds right there. Right. Right. You have to end up on your favorite team. So that's 30 to 1 against that. Then your favorite team has to somehow make it to the World Series. Then you have to come up in a crucial situation with the game on the line. And then you have to come through. And he came through. I mean, he was yeah. down to last strike. The Cardinals were down two with two runners on. And he was a, it was a one and two count. And he hit a triple to clear the bases and tie the game. And then he comes up later in extra innings and hits the walk-off home run that sends the Cardinals to game seven, which they win easily. And that really was, I remember watching that game live and, and just thinking to myself, that guy will never buy a meal in St. Louis yeah, for the right. rest of his life. You know, St. Louis fans, I'll say, you know, say what you will about St. Louis Cardinal fans. They're, they're loyal to their own and they will love freeze forever. You know, and and no matter where he goes for the rest of his life, he's always the MVP of that World Series. Yeah. That that will never change. And like you said, you know, he'll never buy another beer in St. Louis. And it it's just uh, you know an improbable story. And and um, that was a great selection this week because I happen to agree that that freeze was incredible that uh, that year. Uh, you're you're kind of. Uh, you know, you're kind of thinking that the Chicago White Sox are ready to take a step forward. I am. Uh, as we move on to the next topic, the White Sox look good. Um, their their super prospects are sort of coming into focus. They'll be on the roster this season. They went out and spent money on uh, free agents, guys like Dallas Keuchel, Yasmani Grandal, and Edwin Encarnacion. I mean, this is a team that should be good, don't you think? I think it's a great hitting team, a great hitting team. Uh, and um, when I looked at it, it, like on paper, I was scared. Immediately, I was like, oh, my God, we have to face this lineup. They are going to score a lot of runs. You're gonna the, the questions, the questions yeah. are about the pitching staff. If they get a modicum of pitching, they could be a World Series contender because they're yeah. that good offensively. 
They really, they really. I don't know how good they're going to be. Def- I don't know how good they're going to be defensively, but I know that they found out that Michael Kopik is is opting out for the season, and that's a big hit. Even though he didn't really pitch last year, they were counting on him this year. They were counting on him this year. I mean, he was coming off of uh, uh, elbow surgery, and he was going to be. They were going to work him in slowly this year. Uh, he was probably going to get some work in the bullpen, or if he was going to start. He wouldn't probably pitch more than five innings or, or more than 75 right. pitches. So they were really going to rein him in. But I think he had a setback in his arm, and he decided that he would opt out. And, and you know, if, if it's 2021 for Michael Kopech, that's essentially two and a half years that he hasn't done right. competitively in baseball. And that's a long time. And It you know, sure it, is. It may be a while before we see him come back. Now, you know, we're, we're, we're chasing talent because the, the short time that we did see him, he was electric, you yeah, know, yeah. And, uh, and if you combine that with uh, a Lucas Giolito, who had a brilliant year last year, yeah, I think yeah, the White yeah. Sox may be able to put together a pitching staff that is formidable. I mean, well, Keuchel, they've, got, they've Keuchel, got Dallas Keuchel, you know. Yeah. Well, they have Keuchel and Reynoso. You know, Reynoso could be good, but last year he was he was pretty much – he was he was much worse than he was good, you know. And 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 Keuchel will do what Keuchel does. He's not an overpowering pitcher. He's a guy who pitches to soft contact, you know. And then you know, there's questions too about the bullpen. I mean, are these guys really ready to hold up what might be a championship quality or championship caliber starting lineup? So it'll be fun to watch. And and certainly whatever. Luis Robert does will be really, really exciting. I think that guy is just going to be so much fun to watch. So I'm really looking forward to seeing what they do. You know? there, there's no doubt, but I will tell you, if the Sox, let's just play the devil's advocate. Say the Sox win the World Series. Okay. Neither one of us are going to be that surprised about it, meaning that there is a potential there to be a really good baseball team. They still have to do a lot of things for that to happen. But if they were to win it all, and you got to start thinking about it, I wouldn't be surprised. Well, you know, I think the World Series may be a lofty goal. Um, I think Sox fans, you know, drinking the Kool-Aid, drinking the black Kool-Aid of the White Sox. But uh, but I, I think that that's probably a little unrealistic. I think that, you know, if they finished first, I think White Sox fans would be thrilled. You know, I think that should be you know, a realistic goal. So, right. but once you make the playoffs, so, that happen. So, anyway. you know, players, players are starting to say they're not going to play this season. It's kind of scaring me. I got to be honest with you. Every day I find a, another star. Buster, uh, Buster Posey is, is not going to play this year. He's got a perfectly good reason for it. Absolutely. He does. But he's, he's, yeah. does he get paid? That's a good question. I, that I'm going to say no. <laughs> I'm well, going to say no. <laughs> I, I, I'm going to say yes. because, And I think it's I think he does get paid because he has a legitimate reason to not play. He just he and his wife <laughs> just adopted twin baby girls and they were born. Right. Sure. And there are health issues and he doesn't want to take the risk of getting sick and then getting his children, his brand new family sick. So, I mean, no one can blame him for not playing. But the question is, does he receive some of his salary. I, I, we, we need to look into that and maybe come up with an answer. I'll, I'll have, uh, I'll have the intern take a look at that 
And, uh, uh, but, you know, this is a very noble act by Posey because Posey makes it pretty clear that had he not had these two new babies, he would have probably played, which right. hopefully these kids, you know, I certainly will be hanging. If I'm him, I'm hanging that over the kids their whole lives. You know, I could have played the 20 season. You guys screwed me out of the Hall of Fame. So could you clean your bedroom? Thank you. Exactly. Exactly. That, that'll be funny, actually. No, but, and, 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 you know, I think it's a concern with a guy like Posey who isn't exactly a spring chicken. He's no, not right. a man, you know, and maybe the time off will help him, but I can't, you know, I wonder if he's going to be able to come back and play if we are playing in 2021, you know? It, it was, it's commonly known that he's in the twilight of his career. So I think that this is a pretty big, um, sacrifice that he's making and i can't see a way that he's paid he can be get paid unemployment using that uh reason that you gave but i'm, I'm pretty sure that you know he has to or 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 if, if because let's be honest every player in the majors could say i'm not going to play if they're going to get paid for the season <laughs> no you're right you know what I, mean? I mean no you're right he probably is not going to get paid he may get some sort of supplement either through unemployment or whatever and it'll be interesting to see how that all goes but uh, but I also think that if he doesn't ever return to the majors, even after we sort of find a way to deal with COVID, um, you know, I think probably the Giants might have him earmarked to, as, as, as a manager, as a possible manager one day. So, you know, he'll he'll be with that organization for a while and he's well liked out there and he's a great catcher. He really was when he was yeah. at his best. Yeah. He, was, he was really good. And I think he may be short of of. Hall of Fame credentials, but he's certainly one of the really, really good players. So it's yeah, well, be- he's got three. He's got three World Championships, and so that's going to play heavily as as the oh, veterans well, well, vote in the. But I don't think he goes in until he's later in his life. That's what I think. All right, so uh, so so another- Posey opted out. Who's yeah. opting in? Well, I'll tell you who's opting in. It's umpire Joe West, who oh, again, you oh, know. No. If, if, if I hate that guy, let me I just know. say it right off. I know, I know. But you know what I love about this whole thing is that it just gives us more to talk about. Well, who's opting in this year? Well, I'll tell you. It's a 67-year-old umpire, Joe West, is opting in. He's decided that he wants to play. And, uh, you know, he had some comments about the coronavirus that the umpires union kind of had to say, we don't agree with that guy over there, okay? We don't, <laughs> what he says isn't what we think. And he went on to say, you know, he, he talked about how he didn't believe that the statistics for the virus aren't accurate. He said that, uh, you know, he, he cited country music singer Joe Diffie and that when he died of the coronavirus, he had stage four lung cancer. So he says that it may have accelerated his death, but let's be realistic. And He's saying that they've emptied the hospitals because there's no elective surgery. And he criticizes the government, giving them extra money because if someone dies of the virus, so everybody that dies is a coronavirus and it's all a big money grab by the hospitals, according to Joe West. I don't know. Yeah. Well, I I, mean, I, I thought I was reading something from Fox News there for a minute. I really it's like, yeah, it, yeah, it's like and and. West is 65 games away from have, of umpiring the most games in Major League history. That's what he's doing at this point. You're not, and by the way, I think it's hilarious. You can't get it this year. You'll be five games short. Yeah, he'll so be five games short. I, yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I get I get tremendous amusement out of that. This yeah. this guy is adult. He's uh 
you know, obviously somewhat of a competent umpire over the years. Otherwise, he wouldn't be in the position that he's in today, quite honestly, because if you can't do your job and there's a couple out there that need to be bounced that we've talked about. Um, but West seems to be, you know, he's seen, every year he's, he's, he's back at it. His opinions, which are like a fringe, you know, it's, it's, it's the it's the it's QAnon. You know what QAnon is, Leo? Yeah, I, go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, it, it, it's 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 that kind of right wing type yeah. of talk. Yeah, Joe Diffie did have lung cancer, but he died of coronavirus. That's what accelerated. And for for West not to take it seriously, and for others in this country, it's inexplicable to me. It's it, I, I I can't I'll never get over it. But also, part of me is like thin the herd. Then you don't believe in wearing a mask. You don't believe in any of this crap. Then you know go get in your grave. <laughs> Well, he, he, they end the piece on e, in ESPN.com with the quote that he says, you know, I'm chasing the rainbow. I'm chasing the end of this record. I'd like to be young enough to enjoy it. And, you know, I, I do admire. I mean, look, umpires don't get a whole lot of recognition. And and if he has the chance to 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 go down in history as the man who's umpired more games than anyone, then I respect, you know, I respect that he's going to go for it. And I would be happy with letting him do it. But uh, I'll say one other thing that Joe can be kind of a prickly pear when dealing with other players. And, uh, you know, uh, he's not he's not the model umpire of the future. Let's just say that. I would agree. Well, he's not part robot, so that's impossible. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. But we'll see what you know, he, he loves to sort of impose his will on pitchers and hitters, you know, and he loves to. uh just show that he can call any pitch a ball or a strike. You know, he can do it whenever he wants to uh, on any pitch. And he, and and he doesn't care what you think. So I don't know, whatever, but uh, good for him. So uh, Oakland first baseman, Matt Chapman, uh, this guy plays for the A's. He says, you know, of, of not playing in front of any fans. He says that the Oakland A's are used to that. We're used to playing in front of no fans. You know, which I thought was pretty funny. And that's true. I mean, the A's don't really draw at all, you know. It's funny. And when I read it, I started laughing, too. But it's also kind of a cautionary tale because I don't think the future of Major League Baseball in the next 50 years is going to have teams like Oakland. I hate to say it because their their attendance is abysmal. And part of it is the stadium. They want this new stadium, but they're they're not going to get a new stadium. It's like a catch-22. And so um, it's interesting because I know that that certain stadiums, like right now Wrigley Field, they're pumping in uh, crowd noise. Did you know? Yeah, I did. I did. So I'm just going to put – Different teams are handling – uh, the empty stadium thing differently. I, and some people are going to put, or some teams are going to put uh, cardboard cutouts of people, which is just almost kind of hilarious. Um, but it, it might be a good thing because if you put some of those cardboard characters down the line, maybe some of those foul balls will uh, yeah. destroy those cardboard cutouts enough that they'll actually put netting up around the major leagues. Well, you know what I was thinking <laughs> about that, actually? I'm glad you mentioned that because I think that if they're going to put cardboard cutouts of fans, okay. What they what they need to do is take down the nets, okay? And that way, <laughs> that way, when a foul ball wrecks your cardboard cutout, you get the foul ball. They send you the foul ball and the cardboard cutout that was smashed by the ball. That's that's a great do. idea. That's a great idea. I was thinking of putting like bonus points on the on the you know you get it, you get twenty five points on your batting average. 
that would be funny. That would be really funny. Yeah, they should do that. They should. They should. Get rid of all the nets and and just let let the foul balls fly into the cardboard cutouts. That would be a lot of fun. That's so, a great uh, idea. And, and say to the season ticket holders at the end of this crazy season, you're, we're mailing you the cardboard cutout. <laughs> and here are the foul balls that hit. Yeah, exactly. So, so uh, all right. So moving on, uh, Vlad Guerrero of the Toronto Blue Jays, the super junior, Vlad, Vlad Guerrero Jr., the super <laughs> prospect son of Vladimir Guerrero Sr., uh, looks like he came up last year with a lot of fanfare, and it was very exciting. This this young kid, you know, who was so enthusiastic, uh, he came up as a third baseman, but now it seems that he will be playing first base for pretty much the rest of his career. He's being moved to the other side of the diamond, and I think it's sad that such a decision has to be made at such an early age. But if you look at Vlad Guerrero Jr.'s body. You know, he doesn't quite look like you know, he he just doesn't look like a regular major league ball player. And I guess that's kind of a fun thing in that a guy is kind of heavy set as he can play as well as he plays, but but nevertheless, he's just he doesn't have the agility, I think, long term to play third, you know. Well, the, the that's that's one of the reasons, but the other reason is is that he last year at third base, he ranked last defensively you did of all, all infielders in the American League that's all infielders that's all four positions he were yeah. the worst in the American League so yes you have to move to first base but I think when they talk about a player at this point in his career he's so young that he's going to be a first baseman it's almost like a dog whistle for you're going to be the DH let's be honest you're not you ain't going to be on the field defensively and maybe they don't want to kind of Break that news to him, but I'll bet I'll bet you big money that ultimately he's not as good as his Hall of Fame father, and he's going to become primarily a hitter, not a fielder. Well, yeah, we're we're looking at maybe the second coming of Frank Thomas, you know, a guy who's just kind of hitter. But I think Tom, but I think Thomas had Thomas had great, pretty decent hands. Um, for his size. And, and I think Thomas actually was better than him defensively. That's how bad. Flatty is. Well, yeah, that's, that's pretty bad because I, I, I would rank Thomas as maybe one of the yeah, worst right. first basemen I've ever seen when he I, was, I'm in, trying to be kind. Well, I remember once Thomas was in a rundown with a player. He was trying to run down a runner. And instead of putting the ball in his right throwing hand, he had the ball in his glove and the runner saw that and just, you know, was was able to outfox him and get to second yeah, base. Yeah. So right, know, right, right. Yeah. But anyway, there's, there's been some there's been some good infielders, uh, but Vladdy's not one of them. But we're about to talk about a pretty decent infielder. We are, and you said in an article from Five Thirty Eight uh, about Lou Whitaker and how good he was at turning the double play, and this is part of I think an ongoing campaign on your part to get Lou Whitaker in the Hall of Fame, and this is a this is a cause that I feel I can get behind. Uh, I, I would say that Lou Whitaker is probably, if he's not if he's not the second best player who's not in the Hall of Fame, he's the best player who's not in the Hall of Fame. And yeah. uh, he deserves enshrinement when you look at his wins above replacement. And we look at the fact that he was an integral part of a Tiger team that was really good. And, uh, you know, he was doing it all, including turning the double play. But maybe you could talk about how good of a of a of a of a defensive infielder he really was. 
So um, 538 is doing this series called the Hall of the Pretty Damn Good Players. It's yes. not quite uh, the Hall of Fame, but it's you're pretty damn good, but maybe not quite in the Hall of Fame. They actually advocate uh, for Whitaker's enshrinement in the Hall as well. It's kind of inexplicable. Unfortunately for Louis, he's not eligible again until 2022, uh, but hopefully they put him in because uh, him, along with Alan Trammell, who's obviously in the Hall of Fame for the Tigers, made up the lo- uh, the longest-serving double play combination in Major League history. And while the, while they're not as good, uh, they come in actually second to uh, Ever, uh, Evers and Chance, or not right. Evers and Chance, uh, but, the, but the but the famed Cubbed uh, Tinker uh, Evers and Chance, yeah. Tinkers and Evers, not Tinkers and Evers. Thank you. Um, and so. Um, Whitaker's going to go in. It's just a question of time. I think the real issue here is there's two things. Is that when he came up in 2001 for eligibility, he he received less than three percent of the vote, which knocked him off the ballot immediately. The, right. the, the, it used to be years ago, Leo, and you and I talked about this back in Cody's at the day, that third base was underserved in the Hall of Fame. Well, since then, there's been a few third basemen that have been enshrined. And now second base is that position that doesn't have a lot of guys in the Hall of Fame. And certainly not recently, there hasn't been a lot of guys enshrined. So I think, you know, Whitaker's will will... As the days go on, he looks better and better. But the other issue was Lou himself. Lou was a very quiet, religious guy who did not, um, you know, he he did not, he was not a great PR guy. No. Uh, like a guy we're going to talk about, like Wyatt Earp. Wyatt Earp was a great, great PR guy. And, and we'll, I'll give you the reasons why later. Whitaker was the, was the antithesis of that. He just never touted himself and that really hurt him with sports writers in the late 80s because statistically it doesn't make any sense for a 10-year stretch from 76 to 86 what Whitaker and Trammell did is unparalleled between shortstops and second baseman in the all-time baseball history so I, I think you know you gotta his win above replacement was was the highest um during that 10-year period of like of any infielder which is incredible you got you had Cal Ripken Jr. in there um, but so Whitaker goes in. I think we just have to keep talking about it until it happens. No, I, I completely agree. And and really, his the fact that Trammell has been enshrined and Whitaker hasn't uh, really, I think, pisses me off. You know, because these two guys really were 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 identified, you know, sort of hand in hand as 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 the central part of that great Detroit Tigers team that was good for so long. And and. So- and if you look at, I, I do want to mention. You, I, oh, go ahead. No, no, no. You go ahead. I want to. I got to finish. I, I do want to mention that in the 538 article, um, the writer cited or quoted what Alan Trammell said when he was enshrined into the Hall of Fame, yeah. and he said that uh, I'm going to read. I'm going to go ahead and read this. And he said, "That's what I was going to do. That's what I was going to do." So go ahead, Tom. Tom, you cited the article. I'm going to give you the honor. Go ahead. So at Trammell's in, uh, induction speech uh, into the Hall of Fame, uh, part of what he said is the following. My whole career, I've been linked with one person. For 19 years, Lou Whitaker and I formed the longest running double play combination in the history of baseball. I doubt that record will ever be broken. Lou and I were called up to the big leagues from double A on the same day. We played our first big league ball game at Fenway Park on the same day. We both got hits 
at our first major league at bats off the same pitcher, Reggie, Reggie Cleveland. And both of us got our last hits of our careers off the same pitcher, Mike Fetters. Can you believe that? That's truly amazing. For all those years, it was Lou and Tram. Lou, it was an honor and a pleasure to play alongside you all those years. And my hope is someday you'll be up here as well. Wow. That's got to that's gotta get a little tear in that Tiger fan eye of yours. Uh, you it know? did. It, it caught my attention when I read the article. And I was like, oh, my God, they got to get Lou in the Hall of Fame. They really do. But, they really do. You know, but, uh, you know, hopefully. So who's, who's, who's Emma Humperdinck? No, not Emma Humperdinck, but Emma Humplink. Emma Humplink. sounds like a porn site. I know. It does sound like a porn site. But Emma Humplink is not – she is a ball player is what she is. And she is a softball player of uh, the highest caliber. You you and I have both coached co-ed softball, so I like to think that we both know uh, a good women's softball player when we see her. And yeah. Emma Humplink is certainly that. Um, she plays for, uh, I think it's it's basically a team that is sort of in training for Olympic softball. And yeah. it's a play yeah. of, of, it's a pool of players who's kind of under consideration to make the Olympic softball team. And she, she put together a batting practice display where the camera was on, there was a video camera on behind her, sort of umpire's vantage point. And she's taking batting practice and she is crushing home run after home run after home run. I mean, she's just turning on these pitches and she's driving them to left. She's driving them to dead center. She's driving them out to right. I mean, how many did she hit? She probably hit about 15 of them in this little stretch without, you know, each swing producing a home run. And the one that really impressed me was she comes around and the ball kind of looks like it's going to be a fly ball to right. That she didn't quite get all of it, but it just flies out in this huge parabolic arch. You know, yeah. this lady, I'm going to be watching out for her. She, she is somebody. Yeah, I was, you know, I, was impre- I was impressed as well. I noticed that her right leg was extreme. She was driving everything off her right leg while her left leg kind of moved to an open and closed batting stance. Right. Her right leg never moved, and that's where she was getting that power, power from. And the other thing, too, is, you know, you and I used to have like a running discussion because one of the teams I coached, I coached two really good softball teams in my career, but one of them was was a really good one. And uh, in the 90s, and, and could she have played out of the Blues? Yes, she could have. Yes, yeah, she could have. <laughs> I'm yes. just going to say that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. She could have played. That, that's the question I wanted to ask you. Could she have played for you, Tom? Oh, God. My God. Yeah. Yeah. She, yeah. She's really, that was. Impressive. And by the way, I, I, I coached Annie O'Connor, who was one of the greatest softball players, male or female I've ever seen. She was, she was like Alan Trammell. She was fundamentally yeah. sound at everything she did, but this girl has power. I've, I've never seen before. Yeah. She yeah, has yeah. male power. She really does. She, she, she could, I mean, it looks like she could play the majors. I don't know. Right. Right. Or like, go to Twitter. Or, Emma Humplink is her name. Go to Twitter and 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 just look at the uh, and just look at the raw power this woman has. It really is impressive. All right, so uh, let's move on to the Chicago Cubs and and I'm going to begin with the slow testing over the late over the Fourth uh, of July weekend. Has uh, Chris Bryant a little nervous about uh, how this whole thing is going to go down? And we're talking about a guy who also has a newborn baby at home. 
uh, he has the, he and his wife had, had a baby this year, I think, and he's got mm-hmm. some family concerns and he wants to make sure that he's safe. So in turn, his family is safe and healthy. So I, I, I think that, you know, again, instead of announcing schedules for theoretical baseball seasons that are more than a year away, perhaps <laughs> commissioner's office might devote a little attention to making sure that these tests can be turned around in a rapid manner. You know, I mean, I could go to Walgreens and get tested right now and I can have the results in less than 24 hours. You know, let me get your Bryant is the spoke, you know, he's the, he's the spokesman for the Cubs from a union perspective. So it's important. Um, Not anymore. It's important. Not anymore. Well, not for this season because of his child, but, but, you know, he's, he, his voice is very important in that clubhouse. And I think that he's kind of echoing what a lot of players are feeling right now. And that is the unknown. There is too much of an unknown. They can't, what they really need is instant testing. That's what they need. And, and apparently it's not because that has to, to be um, u- utilized at like at the best hospitals. It's not hit the, the major leagues can't take that away from the country during this, this time. Yeah. So baseball's walking kind of on uh, a fine line here of, and that's why, like I said, I'm just petrified that in a couple of weeks that people are going to start to test positive and they're just going to shut it all down. And that I just think there's a potential house of cards going on with the, with the 2020 season. It's just very fragile, man. As the big, as the dude would say, he's fragile. It's very fragile. It is fragile. It's, it's, it's all put together basically, you know, like a, like with glue and spit and, and just, It's all going to come tumbling down. And if they don't get this stuff right, I mean, this is the thing. If the commissioner's office isn't going to get testing right, they're, they're just not going to be able to do it. And, and of all the sports, you know, baseball is probably the one that is the most socially distant, except for maybe tennis or golf. But it's the one team sport that, that allows for some social distancing. So I think it plays into the fact that, that maybe it's right that baseball will be the first sport that kind of comes back in this country. But man, if, if, if they, if the testing is not sound, they're not going to be able to make good decisions and it's going to mess it all up. You know? Yeah. It, it's, it's, I'm, I'm, I'm very concerned about this situation. I just think we're, we're at a perilous moment. Um, but, but, you know, one of the byproducts of, of the, um, in division, um, or uh, we're playing the American League Central, is that we're going to get to, to, to learn about some of the great teams in the American League Central and some of the bad teams. The good news is that the Cubs get to feast on the Tigers in Kansas City. Bad news is they have to play Cleveland or Minnesota. And, oh, guess what? The White Sox. And the White Sox. Yeah, exactly. The White Sox are now going to be a very thorny opponent for them Correct. to face. And, uh and I'll tell you, those games are going to be really, really intense. And I talked about this last week, how, how everything in a 60-game season is just magnified in terms of importance and intensity. And so not only are the six games between the Cubs and the White Sox going to be really intense, every game that the White Sox play or the, or the Cubs play against the White Sox division opponents uh, is going to be really, really intense. So it's, it's going to be fun because now you're going to see White Sox fans actually rooting for the Cubs to defeat the Indians and to defeat the Twins. And, you know, it, it, that's going to be like vinegar in their mouths. I'll tell you that. <laughs> yeah, so, that, that's, put, that's, put, that's putting it mildly. 
Yeah. Um, I, but one of the good things is if, if I if my feelings are true on this, that the White Sox could have a special season, we're going to get to see them a lot. We're going to we'll be. And so, it, it, you know, there's a reason why Smoltz says this will be the most interesting season in Major League history. No, I, and I think he's right. I think he's got a real good point. Um, we should mention, too, that uh, Brandon Morrow, Morrow has been released. And this he's is been, the, the, the reliever who the, the Cubs acquired who, threw, who throws 100 miles an hour. He pitched so well for L.A. in the playoffs. He yeah. pitched basically half a year for the Cubs. I remember he hurt his back taking his pants off or putting his <laughs> pants on. Sorry, I can't help it. <laughs> it's funny. I mean, but, uh, you know, but, but again, I mean, he never – was able to really come back and they were paying him, I don't know, 15 million a year. And yeah. uh, he just wasn't able to pitch. And he, he gave them a very club friendly deal after his contract ran out where he said he would play for the league minimum and they're releasing him. So what that tells me is he, he just can't pitch at all right now. He's unable no to take them out. You know. uh, agreed. Fortunately, this terrible experiment is over. Um, even though I just kept having hope against hope. And I think you're right. I think the Cubs uh, pitching management has made a decision that he cannot pitch at the major league level any further. And so um, it's just, it, it just kind of underscores the fact that, you know, um, Epstein has, has, has made some, some questionable moves over the last five years. I don't know. I mean, at the time, what can you say? I mean, at the time, he was what you needed. You know what I mean? Right. He was a big bullpen arm to replace Wade Davis or whatever. You know, he 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 was what they needed. I don't blame him for trying for acquiring him, but you know, sometimes sometimes things don't work out. I think things kind of caught up to Epstein as far as decisions too, because in 2016, you'll remember that pretty much every decision they made came up double sixes. You know, it's like you're playing backgammon and you can't lose. You know, every time he rolled the dice, it came up his way, you know, yeah. and yeah. It, it, yeah. it just hasn't been that way since then, you know. It, it, that certainly was the case in Boston, lesser degree in Chicago, I think, ultimately, even though, we, like you said, we did get the World Series. But history doesn't care about potential, Leo. They only care about what the results are. And I think when you look post-2016, it's it's pretty checkered the moves that he's made. So hopefully, you know, with with the draft that we just had, that that things are from a player personnel standpoint, which he's not completely responsible for, but hopefully that gets better because it has to. I mean, there's just no way of of getting around it. So, um, no. you know, I th my guess is Morrow's career is over. Would be my guess. Well, the Cubs. I'll tell you this. I mean, they they they've attacked the problem in a different way this year. Um, you know, instead of going after an elite bullpen arm and paying a premium for him, they just added as many pitchers as they could they could acquire. They just they're they're throwing numbers at the problem now, and right. uh, they're they're just they they brought in a lot of guys who you know had potential who weren't able to get it done, and maybe they feel like well you know with what we know about pitching and the way we coach these guys, maybe we can get something out of them. So we'll see how it works. And that that's Sparky 101. When in doubt, just you know, keep 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 bringing in new guys until until somebody um, shines. Until <laughs> somebody stops the bleeding. All right. So uh, so the Cubs were playing around at Wrigley Field. They had an inter squad game, and uh, I don't know. Rizzo came out of the lineup and he started walking around the ballpark. 
and he started checking out, you know, the sights and sounds of Wrigley Field from different parts of the ballpark. And he said, you know, it was really funny because the the, the players were all laughing. It was like, where's Waldo? You know, instead right. of Waldo, where's Rizzo? Because one minute he's in left field, the next minute he's in the upper deck, then he's down yeah. the line, and he's and he's and he said that he really enjoyed seeing the ballpark from the point of view of where the fans sit because he never gets to do that. You know, these players are always on the field. They're never in the stands. And he said, you know, there was at one point he walked up to the very, very back row of the bleachers and you could see the city skyline and just what a great vantage point it was. And, uh, you know, I thought that was really nice of him to do. You know, I thought that was really cool. There was, a, there was a poignant moment at the end where he talks about uh, David Ross at one point took the team into the stands, into, a, into a, uh, a section in the stands that they didn't really mention, but they said, you know, obviously it was a box seat with a perfect view of the, of the dugout. And apparently um, he gave a, uh, Ross that gave a stirring speech that Rizzo said it was so great, I actually put in requests to get season tickets in that spot. Isn't that hilarious? Isn't that hilarious? I know. Because he liked it so much. He thought that, you know, just right. that 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 vantage point. You know, he's like, I'm gonna get season tickets, man. That's it. Right. Good for him, man. Right. Good for him. Maybe he'll he'll give us the tickets one day. You know. So Leo, it's it's peanuts time. Or popcorn time. I'm sorry. Popcorn time. <laughs> Done with peanuts. It's time for popcorn. And uh, and you chose the movie this week, and you chose Tombstone, and I'm going to let you begin, and I want you to tell us why you thought this was a movie worth watching. Okay, so um, this is an interesting, and this was a first for uh, Penis and Popcorn. Um, this was a film I had not seen. I had oh. seen snippets of it prior, but I had never seen the film before, and because we're up in Michigan and we have a... A little theater in our garage bar and I saw the DVD sitting out there that's why I picked this movie so I, I went into it not knowing if I was going to love it or not love it um, and ultimately it's you know the story tombstone is basically about Wyatt Earp uh, back in the I think it was 1881 um, and what is commonly known as the gunfight at the OK Corral even though it was it was neither at either of those it was not at the OK Corral and there was no gunfight there it was, it was next to it. Um, but anyways, it's the story of Wyatt Earp and his gang, uh, his brother, most famously yeah. his brothers and, and Doc Holliday against what was this group called the Cowboys. The Cowboys, so, which was essentially the Clantons and the McLowrys. Yeah. And, and um, uh, I'm trying to think of Johnny, uh, what's his name? Johnny uh, Ringo. There, uh, Ringo. Johnny Ringo, thank you. Yeah. Um, and so... Uh, it, this was this is a classic Western story that's been done many times. So ultimately, I give the film three stars. Um, and the reason why I give it three stars is because of the performance of Val Kilmer. <laughs> Val Kilmer steals the movie as Doc Holliday. I literally laughed the entire film at everything he said. I, I haven't laughed at a character since I laughed uh, at, uh, uh, what's his name, on uh, Mad Men. Uh, what uh I can't, uh, can't think of the character's name. But anyways, um, just great lines throughout the film. Um, not a, not, you know, again, like it's a very formulaic thing. We've seen it a million times before. You've seen it done better uh, other times. But I thought that Kilmer should have won an Oscar for, for either Best Supporting Actor 
Um, and he didn't that year. In fact, Tombstone wasn't nominated for any Oscars that year, which is kind of interesting. What did you think? I, I You know, okay. So Tombstone comes out in 1992, you know, and I think... 93, okay. So I think as Westerns go, I'd, say, I'd give it about a C minus. You know, yeah, it, yeah. It, it just, I mean, there were good things about it. You know, the costuming, some of the scenery was really good. You know, they really bring to life the Old West. It does all those things well. I mean, the physical act of sh- shooting a movie, you know, was pretty solid. The problems I had with Tombstone were the writing and, uh, and basically... You know, I, I have a problem when a movie basically introduces every single character in the first 10 minutes of the movie. We right, meet right. everybody of any significance in the movie in the first 10 minutes. And you're just trying to keep track of who's who. And and I think that a better movie might have, you know, let these guys sort of come in a little bit later, one by one, so to speak. But, you know, it, it still has good aspects about it. I mean, the gunfighting looks realistic you've got sam elliott with that great voice of his you know as 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 virgil as uh you know as virgil or and 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 it's a good movie i think on some levels but ultimately it sort of falls short for me and and part of the problem i have with it is that uh, one year later kevin costner made a movie uh which he wrote with lawrence kasdan called wyatt earp which essentially tells the same story. You know, it just tells it in a different way and emphasizes different things. And of the two movies, I like the Kevin Costner one better. But if you watch, and you you didn't want to do this, but if you watch the movies sort of side by side, you see them depict what are essentially the same events. You know, uh, how, how, how Morgan is shot playing pool. You know what I mean? How the corrupt sheriff tries to stop the fight and says, I've already disarmed him. He says it in both movies. Mark Harmon yeah, says, it, you know, I mean, and, and just all the, the, the places where the gunfights took place when, when Earp does that final stand, when he pulls out the shotgun and charges right at, you know, uh, what the one, uh, the one Clanton guy and shoots him with the shotgun. I mean, they did that in both movies. You know, right. the, the but, but Tombstone did it did it first, and I'll take I didn't see Wyatt Earp, so I can't compare it. But I'll take Ebert's word when he said that it's a two star film, and basically it's everything Tombstone is without the excitement of Tombstone. So, um, you know, that's your your opinion. You like that one better, but for everyone that like like Wyatt Earp, there's probably five or six that like Tombstone better. So Tombstone was a bigger box office film, and yes. I you know I haven't seen Wyatt Earp, so I can't really make that comparison. All I know is I really truly believe that Kilmer created one of film's greatest characters in Doc Holliday. And I think that it, it's, you know, if you're a young actor, you want to study uh, great acting. For one thing, Kilmer practiced um, his uh, gun shooting for like six weeks with professionals. So there's that. And then the fact is when he was on his dying, dying days, you know, he literally laid on a block of ice so that he would shiver. Um, you know, he just did it, it, Kilmer's it, Kilmer's inflection, the comments that he made. You know, um, just you know, I, I just think it's it's legendary, and and, you know, and that's really what stuck out. Well, Doc Holliday is, is always going to be the most interesting character in this story. Yeah. 
you know, the southerner dying of tuberculosis, a gambler, but he's also a yep. gunfighter. The idea is that because he's dying, he has nothing to lose. So he has more guts than any of them. You know, it, right, it's right. it's certainly uh, the, the most, I mean, as an actor, it's the juiciest role. And one of the things I loved about Tombstone, too, is sort of moving on to another character, is I loved Dana Delaney as Josie, who's the woman yeah. who Wyatt Earp kind of falls in love with. But my big problem, too, is that Kurt Russell as Wyatt Earp, he was he, he didn't know what he wanted. He didn't know who he was. He didn't know if he should want to be a lawman. He didn't know if he should want to be a lover or in love with this woman or support Maddie, who's a, who's a Laudanum addict. I mean, it, it, yeah. it, in, in the other movie, Kevin Costner depicts a much more tormented writer, somebody who's not okay. a nice guy, somebody who's not a happy guy, you know, yeah. you also see, and this is the flaw I think too, in, in the wider movie is it's so much longer. It's three hours long. That's a long movie. <laughs> this yeah. is a, yeah, I have no interest in seeing it. I have to be honest with you. It'll never happen anytime soon. Oh, but I just wanted to mention one last thing about, uh, uh, this character wider who was a, you know, he died, I think, in 1929 as an older guy. Older but guy, he yes. really, um, he, he really, the, the, the legend of Wyatt Earp was largely created by him. The, 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 the true story yeah, is he was yeah, not. Yeah, that's right. And I think that that sort of leads to, I think, two movies doing essentially the same thing. You know. Okay. All right, Leo. We get it. You like uh, wider, but this week this show is about to touch. No, but uh, I know. I don't want to be too I'm sorry. I, I I know. I know. But 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 you're but you're right to a certain extent that that he 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 basically was responsible for crafting his own life story, and all yeah. these stories you hear about Wyatt Earp appear in these movies. You know what I mean? Yeah. About how 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 one man kills a guy who's who's well liked by the local populace and they want to string him up but Earp's like no way he's going to stand trial get away he's like well there's two you know well, there's more of us than you you can't shoot us all he's like you're right but I'll shoot you and then I'll shoot you right. and I'll take a few more of you with me you know and they all back down and and that's a story that he probably that's a yarn he probably told a thousand times you know what i mean so, so there's a certain what's our yeah, go ahead. What's our movie of the week for next week? Well, I wanted to talk about uh, a director that we have not we've not uh, really spoken of at all. And I think that he's one of America's greatest directors. I think he's probably in the top five. He's right up there with Scorsese or any really, you know, Spielberg, any director from the United States that you can think of. And that's Woody Allen. And uh, yeah. And I want to go with Good you know, choice. he's not. He's got a lot of great movies, but I want to go with one that I think was his best, most recent movie, and that's Blue Jasmine. Um, you oh, know, good several movies I could have chosen here, but Blue Jasmine is is really, I think, uh, well, I, we'll talk about it more next week, but I think that it, of, of the nine or ten movies he made most recently, I think it's his best, you know. Got it. Well, very good. All right. So until next week. We are the two peas in a podcast. I'll bang the drum slowly and play the fife lowly. Play the dead march as they carry me along. Put bunches of roses 
fall over my coffin Roses to deaden the clouds as they fall